Hello and welcome to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. We're up to episode 18 now. It's a cross-campus edition. Jake Eisenberg joining me over the phone today as we recap a 2-1 series victory for the Terps over Penn State this weekend. Jake, how's it going? It's going pretty well over here. We're both staying sheltered from this this apocalyptic rain hailstorm. Yeah, we had the windows open in my apartment, and uh, let's just say the floor got a little wet. Well, it, the, the weather certainly forced a quicker series up in University Park. You guys, the Terps played a doubleheader on Saturday instead of a game Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you were up there, Matt. So your first impressions of the weekend against the Nittany Lions. Well, I will say, Jake, you got a very long game in the midweek, uh, but doing a doubleheader by yourself is, is certainly not easy. Um, but my reaction to the series was just tremendous starting pitching. I mean, it's it's really as simple as that. Mike Schwarren goes out there, throws his first ever complete game on Friday, sets the all-time Maryland strikeout record. Taylor Bloom comes out uh, in the first game on Saturday. He didn't have his best stuff in the early going, but really battled and settled in midway through a really tough luck loss for him, uh, giving up just two earned runs uh, in eight innings of work. And then Brian Schaefer in game two, just one earned run in seven innings. I mean, you can't ask for anything more from this weekend rotation. And not to mention the offense, too. Marty Costa is getting his second big impression of the week honor this week after hitting just under 400 for the week and 417 for the weekend. He continues to really be such a power bat in the middle of this lineup. Yeah, he was a home run short of the cycle in game two. And, I mean, he cooled off a little bit in Big Ten play. His his Big Ten numbers were down, but you wouldn't know it watching him game in and game out because he just seems to hit the ball hard so often. He gets on base so much. And, I mean, we've been over it again and again. There just aren't enough good things you can say about his development both at the plate and in the field for a guy who really had not played left field until he came to Maryland. And talking about, talking about the power a little bit and the defense, Madison Nickens, too, now tied for the team league, in home, team league in home runs. He had one this weekend against Penn State. And, I mean, who would have thought that, you know, nearing the end of the season, the two guys leading the team in home runs would be Marty Costas and Madison Nickens? Yeah, I, I definitely would echo your your point there. It's a pleasant surprise for the Terps. Um, a home run hitting team across the board, but Nickens has really come on strong after being reinstated in that leadoff spot. Um, he's the highest average on this Maryland team in Big Ten conference play, and you know he's really gotten things going. And Anthony Papio as well has really turned things on, hitting over 300 in conference play. He really struggled at the beginning of the season, and I mean he's just the heart and soul of this team, and it's it's really nice to see him getting back on track as well. One guy who I think has been a bit surprising but more on the other side of the spectrum has been Nick Sierra, who was so strong in his limited action last season and started off pretty hot this year. We saw a higher average out of him despite some lower power numbers. But now that average has been falling precipitously as well, and the power is not exactly there. So what did you see this weekend with him? I know he's been moved down to sixth in the order. What kind of adjustments did you see and you know, kind of what's the next step for him? Um, I mean, what I've seen of him leading up to this weekend, it looked like he was kind of dropping his hands. His timing looked like he was off where a lot of the pitches on the outer part of the plate, he was dropping his hands and flying out to left field. The pitches on the inner half, he was rolling over and grounding out to second base. Um, but this weekend, I mean, his 
average might not have been the best, but he was very productive. He got on base a lot. Um, in Sunday's game, he singled, walked twice, hit a sack fly. Um, he was he walked a couple times in, or I said Sunday, I think. He walked a couple times in the first game Saturday, of course, the doubleheader. And he was on base twice on Friday. So, I mean, his average certainly isn't where he would want it to be, where you might think it should be. Um, but his at-bats this weekend were really good. He was being really patient. He was seeing a lot of pitches, and he was getting on base. And it shows, too, he's actually the only regular player on the team who has more walks this season than strikeouts, 26 walks, 19 strikeouts. That's always kind of a rare thing you see with hitters, especially at the collegiate level, but he's you know, out by a pretty wide margin. Yeah, and especially for a guy like him, and, I mean, you don't want to label guys too much, but he certainly does not get cheated on swings. He... You know, he's up there hacking, and, you know, a guy like that, a, a longer swing plane, you would think would be prone to striking out more, but he is a very good eye, um, and I, I think when he puts the ball in play, he's usually swinging early in the count, and, you know, pitchers know he has power. You know, his home run numbers are a little down, but he certainly is a guy who you don't want to make a mistake to with a 3-1 fastball, and I think that certainly has a lot to do with the walk numbers. Well, the Terps now, they continue, everything continues to be really fluid in the Big Ten Conference picture that we've seen, you know, against Purdue, against Minnesota, against Ohio State. The Terps now tied for sixth with Nebraska, one spot ahead of Penn State, two spots ahead of Ohio State. But, you know, like I said, everything's fluid. Maryland, two games out of first place in the conference, but yet at the same time, two games out of the top eight seeds. And, of course, it's the top eight that make the Big Ten tournament. Right, and I think the Big Ten Conference, you know, we ran into the same thing last year, being the first year in the conference, isn't going to get as much respect as the ACC did, certainly isn't going to get the same respect the teams in the West or the South get, but in terms of a conference up and down, it's certainly very competitive, um, and, and that's what you want to see. You want to see a conference where there are no foregone conclusions, where every series is going to be tough, and where the entire field in the Big Ten tournament really has a shot to win it all and get that automatic bid. Exactly. I mean, of course, it's about getting to the tournament first. And right now, pretty much every single team has a shot at getting to the tournament, save Northwestern and Purdue, who are both 2-16 and 16 in conference play. So they're pretty much all but mathematically eliminated. But the Terps have Illinois coming up this weekend, Rutgers coming up as well, those two in that bottom half of the bracket. And we'll take a look at, at Illinois later in tonight's podcast, but series wins over Penn State, a sweep of Ohio State, and then getting a game off the Big Ten Conference leader in Minnesota, which probably should have been a few, uh, another win, you know, the, the late inning leads being blown. I think, you know, we'll look back and see that as a very pivotal series should things fall a little short. But, I mean, you're right. In terms of this Big Ten picture, it's going to be very competitive and really anyone's anyone's game you know last season there was really one team that stood out above the rest and that was Illinois of course down the stretch winning 27 straight but not the same kind of magic this year right and I think there's there's two things that come to mind in terms of thinking of the rest of the season one is you look at the way this pitching staff went out and just shoved this weekend just very very impressive you know Schwarren, Bloom, Schaefer, there wasn't really any blemish there. And you say, this is a three-man rotation that is going to go out there and give you the best chance you got 
to win series from here on out. I mean, you really can't ask for anything more. I would venture to say this is the best three pitchers in the nation on a staff. Uh, one, two, wow, three. Wow, that's bold. That's bold. I mean, look at the numbers. This weekend, you know, if Mike Schwarren is back, and, I mean, you certainly have to think he is, the last two outings he's been just great. Eight innings and then nine this weekend. And Bloom and Schaefer among the best in the Big Ten. I mean, I, you know, I can't claim to know every staff nationwide, but I certainly would think this is as good as any. But at the same time, you look at the schedule, Jake, you have Illinois and Rutgers coming to College Park the next couple weekends, and these are teams on the outside looking in who have a lower RPI than you and are, are playing desperation baseball. And I think that's a little bit scary from that regard, but you certainly have to like your chances on the mound. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I think you're right. You know, top to bottom, the three guys, you know, in that rotation, it's 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 really solid. I think save for kind of the bullpen struggles, you'd see a team that has an ERA near the top of the entire Division One spectrum. Bloom's got a ERA at 2.12, Schaefer at 2.78, Schwarren at 3.26, and that one's falling fast. And he's really, you know, kind of turned his season around in the past, his past couple starts. And we've started to see that Mike Schwarren of 2015, his opponent's batting average is below 200. It's at 189. So after the shaky start, you know, he's now a Friday starter who's pitched on Sundays. And you have a Saturday starter who's pitched on Fridays. And, in fact, you have a Sunday starter who's pitched on Fridays. So top to bottom, you know, a weekend series, a three-game series, it's going to be no tough, no, no easy task for an opponent. Yeah, absolutely not. And, I mean, you look at the walk numbers for Bloom and Schaefer lower than the total number of starts that they've had this season. And then Shawarin, whose walk numbers are a little higher, his strikeout numbers are just incredible. 66 strikeouts in 69 innings. And, we touched on it a week ago, but he really has a chance to get to 300. Right. You know, there's there's a few more starts for him left. Obviously, you know, 60, 66 strikeouts on the season so far. He's now, you know, all-time strikeout king. And really, I mean, if he continues at this pace, I think it's a safe bet that he, that he eclipses that 300 mark. So I think the the one other thing I want to touch on from this Penn State series is the first game on Saturday. Maryland left 12 runners on base. And that's, I think, the one area right now that they need to, to focus on. I think the bullpen has gotten better of late. Um, perhaps not great in the midweek, but that was just kind of a weird game. Um, but this team, when they're able to hit with two outs and with runners in scoring position as they did in game one, they are very dangerous. And I think despite all the home run numbers, we saw a little more small ball uh, in game three of the series. And yes, Penn State has the worst defense in the Big Ten, but I think against any team, a lot of guys on this team have good speed and can handle the bat well. And I think you're going to see more and more small ball putting pressure on the defense and trying to ensure that Maryland is not stranding double-digit base runners. Well, certainly not a winning formula to strand double-digit base runners. And you know, Chef will be the first one to tell you that. I mean, give credit where credit is due to start. South Yossi, Dakota Forsyth, Jack Anderson were solid all the way through. They scattered seven hits and, you know, struck out five. And, well, they walked five, but, of course, the Terps couldn't capitalize there. Yeah, but, but the, the, the other thing with that, though, was that 
Biasi didn't seem to have great stuff early. He had several innings where he got multiple base runners on, and he was able to get out of it, but then it seemed to me like the Terps started swinging a bit early in the count and let him get in a rhythm that he was not in to start the game. I mean, if you, if you look at that game, it was really just it, – it's it's one mistake that, that Bloom made to open the game, that leadoff home run. And then nothing really happened until the eighth, and that one that run was, you know, a solid run that, that Penn State manufactured. You know, you get a, a sack bunt, a couple hits, and you can score the run. But you're right, it's, it's the runners left on a base that ended up with the Terps losing that one, a certainly tough and close loss. And, of course, every conference game is, is crucial at this point with – with nine left. It certainly is. And Maryland, a big conference uh, series next weekend against Illinois. But before we talk about that, we're going to talk to the guy who got a late, late night, middle, uh, uh, midweek win, uh, a crazy game that you were at against James Madison. We'll talk to Andrew Green when the Maryland Baseball Podcast rolls on. Hi, Terps fans. This is play-by-play broadcaster Jake Eisenberg. Here at the Maryland Baseball Network, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best and most dedicated coverage of your Terps baseball team. But in order to do so, we need your help. As we enter our second season, we're looking to raise money to continue to bring you the same high-quality broadcast and coverage for as many games as possible. Every dollar raised will go directly into Maryland Baseball Network funds and go toward equipment needs, website fees, and, most importantly, travel funds to allow us to bring you all of the Terps games home and away. To donate, head to GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. That's GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. No amount is too big or too small, and as always, we thank you for and appreciate your support. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast, episode 18, and we're going cross-campus this week. I'm on one end, Jake, and Andrew Green are on the other. Guys, how's it going? It's uh, it's going well over here. We got the hailstorm brewing in College Park, so things a little bit split up, as you said, but we got it all worked out. Technology is a pretty cool thing. It's nice. <laughs> all right, so, Andrew, a big game for you in the midweek. When did you know you were coming into that game, and how long did you think you were going to go? Of course, you ended up going five. Um. Bellinger, uh, Coach Bellinger had told me when we went back out on the field, uh, everyone was going to stretch, and he uh, pulled me aside and told me that I was going to be starting the game. So basically, I mean, I didn't have <laughs> starting the game. Yeah, <laughs> well, restarting the game. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really think um, of how long I was going to go in the game. I just knew I was going to give us the, the best shot we had, and I was going to give it all I got until I didn't have any more. And it turned out to be five innings of work and got the win. So with, with guys in the, in the back end of that bullpen, between you, Hunter Parsons, you got uh, John Murphy and Cam Ang back there, all these guys who have made starts this season, what did it mean to you to be given that kind of opportunity in such a kind of close and weird game like that? Uh, it, it felt good. It's just, uh, you know, it felt good that he trusted me. With this, uh, that he uh, gave me the opportunity, that he trusted me in that role, and that he thought that I would uh, be able to pull through for us, and that's that's really what uh, made it, that really felt good and really kept me going out there. So of course you were a red shirt your freshman year last year. Saw I think four and a third innings, so five innings 
in that one game was more than you'd pitched up until that point in your Maryland career. Was yeah, it weird was, being out there for that long? That was that was the most I've thrown since about junior year in high school because of all my weird injuries and everything that's happened to me. So, yeah, that definitely wasn't used to it by the end there. It was a little a little tiresome, but it felt good. And we'll we'll touch more on those injuries <laughs> a little bit later in our conversation. We're just we're just focusing on this game a little bit more. Ninety-seven total pitches. That's pretty much that's almost a complete game. Of course, you know you struck out seven. That's in your career high. Certainly blowing way past two. That was that was your career high to that point. So I mean, obviously this this does wonders your confidence going forward as long reliever, bullpen, potential starter down the stretch. But what do you take from this game? going to the end of this season and in the postseason experience-wise? I mean, it's just, just I'm going to be ready for uh, any role that I'm given because, you know, I could could be going out there and just getting one guy out could, all he, could be all he needs from me, or it could be going out there and giving him five innings of work. So, basically, just, just be ready to prepare and adapt for anything. You've done that a couple times this season, too. You've gone out there. I'm pretty, I, I remember sometimes I've been in the booth. You've gone in throwing one pitch, inning over, and that's yeah. it for you. Yep. Yeah. Not hard day's work out there. So obviously a, a late day out there. What was it like coming home from James Madison? Obviously happy that you'd won, but a late night, right? Yeah, it was it was a late night and just just found the most comfortable position I could on the bus and tried to get as much sleep as I could. Get ready to go to class next day. Yeah, late night, more like more like early morning. I was on that bus too, Matt and let me tell you, it was. I mean, I I was lucky enough to have two seats the way it all worked out. But I don't know. I, I can't. I can't imagine six six two hundred forty two pounds. It must not be easy to get too comfortable. I was in an awkward position, but I don't. It somehow worked out. Thankfully, I had two seats too. But <laughs> probably didn't look very pretty. Do they give Do they give guys like you and Selmer and like some of the bigger guys a little extra leg room? So yeah, Selmer Selmer's got his his little spot. His seat sat in for basically every year now that he finds really comfortable. Uh, it's actually next to the window, which I don't understand because I like having the aisle and all the leg room. But, yeah, especially now when I was younger now, but now that I'm older, uh, you yeah, know, definitely older guys uh, are the ones who don't have to double up if there's enough room. So speaking of bus trips, on the uh, way up to Penn State, there was a big mafia game going on in the back of the bus. Were you a part of that one? I was not. I was not. I, I play mafia every so often, but I just wasn't in the mood to uh, – play that one but I, I heard it getting quite rowdy in the back there it did someone I, I heard someone say that when Pap and Jankarski play Mafia you think that someone actually got murdered oh I, I uh there's a role in the game called the cop and your goal is to find out who who the Mafia members are and I remember I was the cop once and uh, I uh, asked if Pap was in the Mafia and he was and when I told everyone I thought he was actually going to maybe come over there and strangle me because he was, he was getting quite, quite angry at that. <laughs> it's a, I've seen, I've seen this game a few times now on the bus and there you guys are playing, you know, on the way and there's like different places on the way some away from some of the midweek games. And I'll be honest, I've never played it before. So I've been trying to figure it out this whole time. But I know there's a night and there's a day and you can, you can know. Is that's that's not, no? All right. So I'm completely off. That's okay. Um, I'm at the front of the bus, so okay. you know I don't I don't really know what's going on back there, but maybe you could tell everybody else about <laughs> what this game's about. It's basically just what we do to pass time on the bus. There's a basically got a narrator, 
uh, the mafia members, the townspeople, a cop and a medic. Um, and basically the whole game, the whole point of the game is the townspeople are trying to figure out who the mafia members are and they're voting people out and the mafia members are, uh, are picking people off and, you know, cops, cops are there to try and guess who the mafia members are and the medic can save people and, yeah, it can definitely waste a whole bunch of time on a bus trip. Well, you mentioned the different roles are in this season, and and one of them is Fungo Man. Is that a role that you selected that someone picked you for? Kind of, how did that come about? Um, in the fall, I'd done uh, fungos. However, I was uh, not hitting quality ones to say the least, so uh, I kind of stopped with that. But when we went to uh, Iowa, uh, Rob Rob Yagen was having a little troubles with his back, so he wasn't able to to hit him. So I guess I was next in line, and you know I think I'd like to think that I've slowly built on my skills and I've gotten better as the years gone on. So you know I'm, I'm still not the best. I still have a lot to work on, but definitely gotten a lot better than what it's been. I've seen like there's a pretty consistent rotation between you guys. I'll see you know, Reese. Usually yeah, they do the ground balls on the fungo. Yeah. I saw uh, Jimmy Bowser hitting some fungos one day, too. Some days, some days, if I'm not doing so hot, uh, Chris Bowser will come over and relieve me of my duties. Uh, they'll, they'll go to the bullpen. Yeah, the fungo, yeah. Get the early hook, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I guess now, let's let's go into the, the injury history. We were, we were going to come here in the conversation <laughs> at some point. It's been, a, it's been, needless to say, a bit of a tumultuous path for you, in your young Terrapin career, the redshirt year last year, and some other funky things that's happening in there. So let's start with coming out of high school and the Tommy John. So uh, my senior year in high school, going into the year in February, I had tore my uh, UCL. And it was it went misdiagnosed, actually, for, for a month or two because I, I went to a couple doctors and they said that it was just tendonitis. You know, it, it's fine, just heal it, let it heal, let it sit. I gave it a whole bunch of time. I was throwing. It still hurt. And so I learned, Dad, I just want to get this checked out, you know, just so I can have some peace of mind. So I started, like, freaking out. And uh, we went back to the first doctor, and he said, yeah, this is torn, but, um, you know, you might look into some other sports uh, therapy to heal it. So we went to an actual sports uh, doctor, and he said, no, this you need surgery for this. And eventually when we went to the actual surgeon, he said, yeah, you, your UCL is not there at all, so... It, it, it went away pretty. It pops. So when you heard, I guess when you heard the first words, Tommy John, mm-hmm. and you're a senior in high school, you, you were committed to Maryland at that time. Yeah. Did you, was your first thought, well, this is it? Actually not. My my mom got quite upset. However, I, I was like, you know, at the time, if there was ever a time, you obviously don't want to get Tommy John surgery. But that was the most opportune time, too, because it gave me a chance to come into college and spend a year just learning the game, not having to learn on the run and correct as I was playing, but it gave me a chance to learn and sit down and watch everything and uh, how things are supposed to be done without being out there in the moment. So it's kind of like almost, I mean, I guess you could say it's similar to Stephen Matt and David Grom when they had their Tommy John surgeries. Very early on in the minors. Yeah, now. Exactly. I mean, they're obviously doing some pretty cool things. Exactly, so. yeah. Some similarities there, maybe. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> when you had the surgery, and obviously you're in contact with the coaching staff here, what were those conversations like? And, and was 
there any concern about where you stood following that surgery? I mean, I, I really don't think so. I, I called him up and I told him, and I said, unfortunately, you know, coach, I, I tore my UCL and I need Tommy John. And he said, all right, well, you know, we're just going to rehab it. He'll be back and we'll look for, we'll look to get me play summer ball so you be ready for the next year. It's more, more or less how it went. And a lot of times these days, I guess you could say, you hear more and more about guys who say they feel stronger after Tommy John surgery, I guess similar to guys with their ACLs in, in the NFL and other sports, do you feel stronger or, or the same now that you've had the surgery? I definitely feel a lot stronger. I mean, obviously that's contributed to all the weightlifting and things we've done, but it was it was kind of weird throwing for the first time and not having any elbow pain at all. You know, it, it, it felt unnatural almost because I had gone with it for so long. So it was, it was, ni- it was a nice feeling being able to throw pitch and not wincing in the pain. Is it almost like bionic or robotic? Uh, I go bionic. Go bionic. I asked because I saw a picture of uh, of Jimmy Reed the other day, uh-huh. and he just had Tommy John surgery. I mean, he's got this elbow contraption on. Yeah. That looks like I mean, he looks like cyborg. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. Did you have one of those? I did. I did. You get the you get the um. It starts you out. It's just the it's basically a cast, and you can't move your arm at all. Once the scar heals and everything like that, they put you in a in a brace, and slowly, like week by week, they give you more and more range of motion until finally you can completely bend your arm all the way, and then they take you out of it to start the rehab. So it's kind of like, um, I guess no one can sign your cast, really. No, no, it's sad. It was, no, it was basically a wrap. Really. <laughs> Do you still have it? Do you still have the arm? I have, I have the brace. I don't have, they, they took away the, when they took my uh, stitches out, they kept the wrap thing. So... The moving past the Tommy John and the rehab from that, which, you know, was obviously expensive and, you know, difficult to get through. Mm-hmm. You come back in, in the fall and you're, you're ready to go. Yep. And then what well, happened? This is before the fall. I'm still I'm back in the fall and I'm rehabbing through that. And then finally in the spring, I'm starting to throw off the mound again. And uh, before a game, uh, I was sitting on the way our bullpen used to be set up. Um, the bench was against the wall, so the pitcher warming up was throwing perpendicular to where you were sitting. And uh, one of my one of my teammates was warming up, and I was undoing my cleats because I was breaststroking that year. And he had overthrown the ball, and it knocked me in the head, and that led to a whole bunch of other problems. So at first, I was diagnosed with a concussion. They said, you know, there's blood in there. You have a perforated eardrum. Go home, like just. Be, be okay. Um, and then that was a Sunday. And then a week later on Saturday, or almost a week later, uh, I was in my apartment. I was about to go into D.C. with uh, my mom. And it turned out I had a seizure and was taken to the hospital. And they gave me a CAT scan and was like, you know, you have a, I think it was subdural hematoma, which is basically a fancy word for saying your brain is bleeding. So that was, that was fun. That was a long, long recovery from that. You know what Motown Tisher was? What? Motown Tisher was? It was it was uh, one of our harder throwers on the team. <laughs> so we'll assume it's a fastball. Yeah. yeah. What is the recovery for that? Obviously, you know, it's more commonplace to detail the recovery of Tommy John, but what is the recovery <laughs> from a subdermal hematoma? Is that what you said? Yep. Um, basically, I wasn't allowed to do anything at all, like, 
I, I was out of school for a month and a half. Like, I wasn't allowed to do anything for a month and a half, and then I was finally allowed back in school, and I wasn't allowed to do any physical activity for basically three three to four months. And then finally, when, when uh, my symptoms, you know, it's basically check your symptoms every day and make sure everything's good. When they finally start going away, they slowly build you back into um, let you do, do more things such as running and weightlifting and eventually running. So what did you do to occupy your time during those couple months? Oh, I don't remember. It was, oh, that was, most of that was during the summer. So I, I just spent it basically helping my parents around the house was, was the biggest thing because I really wasn't allowed to do anything else. I would imagine it's made you a much more patient person. Oh, uh, you, you would think so, but I was, I was getting, I got extremely antsy. You know, I'd already sat out for a long time with the Tommy John surgery and then this on top of it. I was, I was getting, I got very, you know, very antsy and wanted to go more than anything. And it, it actually, it caused me a little irritable sometimes just because I was like, all right, like I, I'm ready to go. I feel ready. And the doctors would just say, no, like you're not allowed to yet. You know, it's just, it's really frustrating for, especially an athlete. So in 2014, obviously missed the whole season with Tommy John. 2015, and that and that was the first kind of postseason run of the Super Regional. Yeah, 2015, got you know four or five innings, and then injured again and missed. No, 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 no. The, the so 2014 was close. I had the timeline wrong. So Tommy John, I was recovering from it in the middle of recovery. This is still my freshman year in 2014. But I that's when I hit in the head. Right, okay, so, so and then the fall, it was kind of everything all put together. Yeah, exactly, and then finally I get back to that, uh, and in the fall, I've made it through the entire fall, I was loud back throwing, pitched in fall, and on my way to study hall, a woman ran a stop sign and hit me with a car. Oh, so. man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, so that, that was fun. You know, that one only put me out for a week, though, I just got a little gash in my foot from that, but... That was still something else. What kind of car was she driving? Well, it was, it was a little, it was small, a little, like a smart yeah, car sedan. I mean, you're, like you're bigger than a smart car, so. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> wasn't fun. <laughs> Can only imagine. Well, the luck, the luck seems to be turning around yeah. a little bit. You know, the solid five know. innings. <laughs> yeah, the solid, the solid five innings on Tuesday or, or half of them on Wednesday, I guess you could say. <laughs> and so going back to the original question. Missed it all of 2014. Mm -hmm. 2015, you were able to kind of get acclimated yeah. to, you know, collegiate pitching, and yeah. then, you know, you were along for the ride for that postseason run. And then, you know, this year, uh, a bunch of freshmen come in. And, I mean, I guess kind of weird. Where do you categorize yourself? Do you see yourself as kind of an old guy or kind of a young guy? Because this is your third year on the team, but second year playing. Yeah, I and I would say at, at the beginning of the year, I definitely I thought of myself as an older guy, but I still only had the experience of a younger guy. But now that I've, de I've been out there and I've been doing this, I feel a lot more confident. I definitely feel much more like an older guy and that, you know, I know I have been to the postseason. I might not have played, but, I you know, I've been there, so I know what it takes and I, I, you know, I've seen uh, you know the things that go into winning, winning regionals and winning championships and things like that. What's it going to take this year, not only to you know clinch a spot in the Big Ten tournament, but go beyond that? It's just, it's just going to be. I think the biggest thing is playing well together as a team. You know, a team that really clicks together and is, is supporting each other and behind each other 100% is the team that's going to do the best because you know they're always. If someone 
doesn't get a job done, you know the person behind them is going to pick them right up and get that job done. All right, well, we've detailed the injuries. We've detailed your comeback. Let's switch gears a little bit now, a little lighter side of things that we like to do towards okay. the end of our podcast. Kind of rapid fire, if you will. Favorite place uh, to eat around campus? Favorite place to eat? Definitely uh, Shanghai, Tokyo. I'm a big fan of big fan of sushi and Chinese food. And it's a little little pricey, but it is it's really good. So I love it. Okay, so here's a question. Okay. This is also a place I heard you heard Shanghai, Tokyo from from Rob Galligan too. And I was kind of taken aback by it. That was way back on our first podcast season. And first off, I've never been there. Secondly, I've never even heard of the place. And it it occurred to me that there are a lot of pizzerias in college bars. There are, so and there are a decent amount of like Asian or sushi places. So between Shanghai, Tokyo, and, and Wasabi and Photon, uh, I think is what it's called. Photo Delight, I think. Photo Delight, yeah. The Vietnamese place down on Route One. Mm-hmm. Shanghai, Tokyo takes the cake. I, to be honest, it's really the I've been to that one and Kyoko are the only two that I've been to, and yeah, Shanghai is my favorite out of two out of those two at least. Are you bummed out that it's not open late night anymore? Is it really not? I did not know that. I mean, it, it, I feel like my freshman or sophomore year it was open like till two or three a.m., and now it's like ten or eleven. Um, I I think it would have last year. I would have been a little more bummed out because I lived in the varsity, so I got it a lot more. But this year I lived in Landmark, so I'm a little farther away, so it's it's a bit more uh, far and in between when I when I do go and get it. So okay, I then I must be thinking the wrong place. So Shanghai Tokyo is different than Shanghai Cafe. Shanghai Cafe is the one down by the Landmark and uh, Subway towards the bars. Shanghai Tokyo is the one underneath the view. Gotcha. I, I've never had Shanghai Cafe. So Shanghai Tokyo, my go-to. Well, now I mean, now that I think about it, it's kind of a, a contradictory name. Shanghai is in China, Tokyo is in Japan. I know, but they do Chinese. So is it it's a Asian, blend. Yeah, it's Asian fusion. Yeah, they do they do Chinese food, but then the sushi is Japanese. Ah, uh, okay. Well, that's there you go. Exactly. There you go. And I guess Shanghai Cafe strictly sticks to China. I would assume so. Yeah, it seems that way. All right. So, so moving on. You know, the next rapid fire question. I'll, I'll kind of give you a broad spectrum to this one. Favorite movie or TV show? Oh, uh, definitely, definitely. Movie is uh, Star Wars. I'm a giant Star Wars geek nerd. And we got to get you in on the, on the competition. I heard, heard about that. And I wanted between to Delmer and Murphy. We've, used, we've done that in the outfit a couple times. We try and stump each other with uh, <laughs> Star Wars trivia. Um, and then TV show, I love. I'm a big fan. I love uh, watching the site. It's a good show. I went through that it's so fast. Yeah, I could watch it again. I love it. Let's go back to Star Wars okay. for a second because I'll tell you the same thing. Matt and I told you the same thing that we told uh, Selmer and, and Murphy is that Murphy. I've never watched it. I've never watched it. Very yeah, I, think, I have not either. He is face if you're listening, but he just put his head in his hands yeah. and he's, he's terribly disappointed. I, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I, I, it's been on my list. Okay. Yeah. I guess October. Okay. October, but I can't find it anywhere online, and I don't I really want to pay for it. I'm you have to disc. I'm gonna give you the original trilogy. All right. Well, here we go. So we're gonna we're gonna get my Star Wars fandom started. Maybe I'll join the trivia with you guys. There you go. But yeah, we'll have to go kind of a three-way Jeopardy style here between you, Bert, and oh, Elmer. I'm gonna have to watch the end. Get ready. I feel like I feel like Selmer's gonna take this very seriously. I mean, he takes everything yeah, pretty seriously. Yeah, I would expect nothing less on that on that front. I feel like Summer's the kind of guy who takes the not-so-serious stuff very seriously. Exactly. He also takes the serious he stuff does, seriously. But he takes the not-serious stuff just as serious. Right, exactly. 
All right, favorite Mark, hobby. I think Mark is just a giant fan, so he he knows he knows a lot about it. Then it's our courses. Yeah, exactly. That's how I see him. Is there anyone else on the team that you can lump into this Star Wars fandom? Not as far as I know. Those three are the, the only ones I can think of. All right, so what about Star Trek? I mean, I mean that's to be honest, that's more of my dad's generation kind of thing. Like I, I most. They don't really have the TV shows nowadays, anyway, so it's not as big as the Star Wars movies are. I mean, they do. They make the Star Trek movies, but you know, a lot of a lot of people say they're not the same as the old TV shows and things like that. So I've not, I never really watched that. I never got into it. All right, well, Matt, we have some homework to do. <laughs> we do. I a lot to catch up on. Clearly, uh, I didn't mean to to interrupt the Star Wars conversation, but favorite hobby outside of baseball. Favorite hobby. Hmm. Oh. I feel like baseball takes up so much time in my life. I don't have much time for hobbies. Uh, I mean, I just love it. Baseball's a hobby. Yeah, it's a hobby for us. True for you. I'm I'm just gonna say, definitely, definitely playing video games. You know, just love sitting down, chilling, relaxing, playing with them. You know, what's the go-to? Moving it back to Star Wars, I can't wait until the uh, Lego Star Wars video game comes out. Oh, I love you're you're a big you're a big nerd. I mean, the Lego yeah, you're a big nerd. Oh wow, I did. My my girlfriend thinks I'm ridiculous, um, but she sticks around though. That's exactly. that's all you can ask for. <laughs> so it's not so much FIFA or 2K with you. It's no, or, no, or Lego mean, Star Wars. No, I mean I have I play obviously all like, you know Call of Duty, all the all the sports games, stuff like that. But let Lego games I remember playing growing up, and they're just, they're just a lot of fun. So especially one involving the new Star Wars. Looking forward to it. What did you What did you think of the new Star Wars movie? <laughs> uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. You know, a lot of people complain that it's a lot like the fourth one, but. Right, I mean, of course. It was yeah, so, it was so yeah, identical. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, all I, all I really know is that Darth Vader's father and sorry to me. I guess whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, spoiler alert here. <laughs> sorry. I mean, I feel like it's the kind of thing where if you're not aware of that, even if you've never seen the movie, you've got to be under a rock. Oh, I am, I am completely in the dark. Wow. Wow, really, Matt? How big is you're your completely in the dark? What's that? You were completely in the dark on that one? Are you being serious right now? Yeah, I, I, it's just really not my thing. How big is the rock you live under? <laughs> it's kind of like Patrick Starr. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's but that's about it. That's as far as I go. Okay. I got. I do have one question. I'm not, okay. If you if you can't answer it because I haven't seen the movie, that's okay. But suddenly okay. I'm gonna confuse that. What is the difference, or what is the similarity, I guess, between Darth Vader and Darth Maul? Oh, you're just really trying to make me show my nerdness, aren't you? Yeah, I, I wanna I wanna pull this out okay, of here. Okay. Um, I mean, they're they're basically two completely different people. I'm just an idiot. Uh, what can I say? Darth Maul is just the first, like, not chronological, but the first numerical movie. Um, and he's killed off in the first movie. Whoa! Spoiler! Spoiler alert! I don't have those ones though, so you can't watch. Them. So I mean, I can find them somewhere else. You said you couldn't find them. Maybe Summer has them. Maybe. Probably not. Anyway, let's chill with the spoilers. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, okay. <laughs> we got a lot of Star Wars fans watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, Darth, Darth Vader is basically, uh, for those of you who don't know, Anakin Skywalker and Luke Skywalker's father. So they're just two completely separate people, basically. Well, then. Well, 
Well, they had the same name going, so I just kind of drew a connection. It's like there. it's like the, that's like the main thing to like the bad people in Star Wars, basically. Okay, yeah. another another contentious Star Wars question. Okay. This is one that I kind of no, no. This is this one. This okay. one's more about how people like me should go about learning right. about Star Wars. I know that there are some people who say you should watch the movies in chronological order, yeah. starting with. The, yeah. the the six the fourth one and then four five six one two three and then the most recent one yeah but then there's some people that say you should go one two three four five six seven that's wrong that's wrong you gotta go four five six one two three so in the order in which they came out yeah yeah the the first the first the numerical first three were made just just to explain the backstory basically behind four five six basically one two and three is how four five and six came about so. If you want, if you want to get the most enjoyment out of it, watch four, five, and six first. Or else, if you watch one, two, and three, you'll kind of be bored, and you won't really want to continue to the good ones. All right. Well, there you have it. Four, five, six. It is. That's next on my docket, Matt. I don't know about you, but we got to get ourselves out from underneath this rock. Yeah, it's it's clearly a large boulder because I knew they were out of order, but I didn't know why. So, I've already learned a lot in the last minute or two. Me, me too. I've somehow felt. Like an absolute idiot, <laughs> while at the same time, still I I don't even know what's going on at this point. Yeah, I mean my my mind's in a galaxy. I'm not even gonna go there. That was too bad. I won't I won't subject the people listening to that if they haven't already turned this off. Goodness. All right. Well, Andrew, before we let you go, something we've been asking everyone over the last several weeks: Who you got for your World Series winner this year? World Series winner? Yes, sir. Gotta go with the Cubs. Gotta go with the Cubbies. Um, you know, they're they're just they're loaded. They got all the pitching in the world. Um, I'm, the girlfriend's from Chicago, obviously, so I got a little bit of bias there. But you know, I think they're a really good team. So, you talked to the Otic about that one. I I would think you would agree with me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I took the Mets. Matt took the Giants because it's an even year. The Giants, Ooh, bit, of a, bit of a cop out. I forgot about that. Bit of a cop out, if you ask me. That's true. All I know is the Yankees aren't going to win this. Well, they're in the basement right yeah, now. That's true, yeah. They're not doing too hot. My team is... Oh, but hey, Mets had four four home runs in the uh, the first inning tonight. They scored 12 in uh, one inning just a couple of days ago. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Think you guys can ever do that? Oh, definitely. There you go. So you guys can score 12 runs in one inning. I'll watch seven Star Wars movies. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll go from there. Matt, you, you in with... Which one do you want to be more of a part of? Well, see, here's the caveat there is you and I always root for those, like, five-run innings because it saves the scorecard. What, that, you bat around. You don't have to move to the next column. You're good, and it's still we'll a big up, inning. We'll up the booth and I, think, I think if you, you, you play Star Wars while you're watching the game, you can talk about both at the same time. Give your listeners a lot to, lot to talk about. I, I feel I don't even – That sounds quite overwhelming. No, that's, not that's a lot. I no, I will say the scorecard thing certainly rings true. Yeah. We'll sit up there because our scorecards only go up to yeah. so many innings. No. So whenever you guys get extras, I get a little bit nervous that I run out of room. And, uh, cool. you know, whenever the team bats around, it and, and I mean not – so batting around, there's, there's two definitions, I guess, in the world. One of them is, you know, everybody in the lineup hits once. And that's the way I see it. You know, you go one through nine. Some people say you don't bat around until you hit the tenth batter, yeah. and you have to go over to that next column. I say it's nine. That's my personal view. Okay. But either way, it's always a little bit of like, you know, you're excited that, that the inning is going on for such a long time. You There's a lot down. of excited happening, but then you look down and think you get really oh, bad. So everything's messed up. 
God forbid it happens twice. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Andrew Green, thank you so much for joining us. A lively conversation, injuries, Star Wars, and everything Terps baseball. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. When we come back, we will preview Maryland Towson, an interstate rivalry this Wednesday up in Aberdeen. Stay with us. The Maryland Baseball Network isn't just a broadcast network. It's a comprehensive online platform dedicated to bringing you everything Terrapins baseball. Be sure to check out our website by going to www.marylandbaseballnetwork.com where you can find game recaps, podcasts, news, video, and much more. That's marylandbaseballnetwork.com, your home for all things Terps. And welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Maryland playing their interstate rival Towson on Wednesday and then a Big Ten series at home against the Fighting Illini of Illinois. Well, it'll be a fun neutral site game on Wednesday. This one in Aberdeen, the Aberdeen Ironburns playing host to the Maryland teams, Towson and Maryland. But then more importantly, the Big Ten series this weekend against Illinois, a team that does not look like the same team that we saw in 2015, Matt. No, they don't. They've certainly dropped off a little bit currently on the outside looking in uh, with regard to the Big Ten standings. But they're going to be hungry. I mean, Maryland certainly cannot sleep on them. They went up to Penn State, a team that was above them, and took care of business last weekend. Now they need to come home and really lock up another series uh, against the Illini. Well, this will be the first time that the Terps and the Illini face each other in a series. The only time that they've played one another in conference play was last year in Minnesota in the Big Ten tournament, the second game of that series. Of course, that was Brian Schaefer's coming out party. Seven innings of one-run ball, a career-high seven strikeouts at that point. It was a career-high against the Illini to end their 27-game winning streak. And, you know, of course, Illinois at that point was also ranked fifth in the country. So it was a, quite the giant that the Terps toppled last year. Yeah, it's really hard to fathom looking back on it. I mean, not that 27 wasn't impressive at the time, but just looking at this season and, you know, Maryland's season-high win streak is four. They've done it twice. I mean, 27. I mean, that's just unbelievable at any level in any sport and a really special game for Brian Schaefer a year ago. And, uh, of course, he'll get another crack at them on Sunday or Saturday. We'll see how the rotation shapes out for this weekend. But, of course, an important series. If you look at the conference picture, Illinois is, as you said, on the outside looking in. They're currently behind Ohio State and Penn State. So they're at they're just barely on the outside at ninth in the conference, a seven and eight conference record, twenty one and nineteen overall, so hovering right around five hundred. And they of course just lost two of three at home against Minnesota, who of course leads the conference. Yeah, and, and they've struggled hitting the ball this year as well. Their batting average towards the bottom of the Big Ten. Uh Jason Goldstein leads them. He has four home runs and a three forty one average, but that's their only guy hitting over 300, and he's tied for the team lead in home runs. So, I mean, not really a potent offense. Their pitching is decent. Um, it's certainly not what it was a year ago when they had, you know, the best closer in the nation. But they're, they're pitching better than their offense. Their defense not great either. And once again, as we touched on earlier, I would not be surprised if we continue to see the small ball, especially with Zach Jankarski staying in the lineup. 
Well, just the thing on Illinois, and something that they have in common with the Terps is, you know, losing a lot of players last year, and that's certainly been a big reason why the Illini have dropped off in the fashion that they have. Of course, some returning guys for Illinois in Jason Goldstein, their catcher, Adam Walton, their shortstop, and, of course, a couple guys in the rotation as well. Cody Sedlock appeared in that game against the Terps. Another infielder, Tyler Angle, is back as well. But two main guys who they're really missing this year, one of whom, David Kirian, reigning Big Ten Player of the Year, no longer in the lineup for them. Will Krug, who is a big part of their lineup. Ryan Roper, Ryan Nagel, all of them, you know, really gone from that lineup one through nine. Yeah, and if, if Maryland can pitch the way they pitched this weekend, and I mean, that's asking a lot to duplicate what was the best collective performance, I would say, from their rotation all season long. But, I mean, these guys are locked in right now, and uh, I would certainly expect it to be Schwarren, Bloom, Schaefer in that order. And uh, Hunter Parsons also will get the start against Towson on Wednesday. So we'll see the freshman Hunter Parsons on Wednesday. And he, of course, has been really stellar in his starts this season. So we're going to get him a little bit more experience. And, you know, you get to the Big Ten tournament where you really need to win four games to, to – if you win four straight, you take the whole thing. Of course, it's a double elimination format. So, you know, it's safe to say you really need five guys. And the Terps have that, especially growing Parsons along. You'll have Schwarren, Bloom, Schaefer, Parsons, and Styles, all guys who have, you know, pitched starting considerably this season. And to get Parsons more experience, especially on a little bit of a bigger stage like that, I think is huge in terms of depth down the stretch. Well, he looked really good against Purdue a weekend ago, and I think Jimmy Bellinger uh, made a nice move, giving him an inning uh, following Brian Schaefer just to kind of give him a chance to get in there and get an inning of work and warm him up for that start on Wednesday. Again, it's a 7 p.m. start uh, from Aberdeen, Maryland, Maryland against Towson at the Ripken Baseball Complex. And uh, you'll be there with Liam Vetus for all the action on that one. And then, of course, this weekend, the Terps come back to College Park and face Illinois three games in that series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Some weather in the area, so we'll keep you updated on all the times. But as of now, a 6.30 p.m. start on Friday, 2 o'clock on Saturday, and a noon game on Sunday. All those games also simulcast from the Maryland Baseball Network on BTN+. Plus. You can catch it there as well. Another big conference series for the Terps. Yeah, and be sure to note that Sunday time, it's at noon now, different than the schedule that was originally printed, which was a 1 p.m. start. So just a, a reminder on that one. But until then, we will see you first at Aberdeen. Pre-game show starts at 6.45 on Wednesday evening. For Jake Eisenberg, I'm Matt Present. This has been the 18th podcast on the Maryland Baseball Network.